Okay, thank you. Well, tonight I want you to give a big round of encouragement to uh, Christian, who's going to share his story. He's feeling very nervous, as you would do, but um, he's here because he wants to give testimony to what God has done in his life. And um, we've really seen what God's been, how God's been changing you and working his, you know, expressing his love to you and how you've accepted that and what it's done in your life. And we're excited to hear about that story that's brought you to this point today. So let's all give Christian a big welcome. And join with me while I pray for him. Dear God, our Father, I thank you so much for Christian. I thank you, God, that you named him that. Uh, right from the first day that you declared your purpose over his life, that before he was even born, you, you knew your plan for his life and you declared him as Christian. And so we thank you, God, for that. And we know that as he has, you know, just walked through life and, and come to this point where he's been able to experience your amazing love that's transformed him, Lord, we thank you for the blessing that that is for him and for us. And we pray tonight that as he speaks, that you'll give him peace, that he'll just feel incredibly calm by your spirit and that you'll empower him to be able to speak out this testimony, this witness to who you are. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone. I'm Christian. I was born in Newcastle 41 years ago. There was my mum, my dad, my older sister and my younger brother. Dad was a butcher, so we didn't see him much. So mum basically raised us kids. She was a good mum and we never went without. When I was around nine, mum and dad split up. Two years later, I moved in with dad. So my brother and sister grew up with mum. Apart from the fact that we went to the same school and lived one suburb apart, we led very separate lives. My first drunken experience was when I was 11 at one of my sister's high school parties. I drank a lot and ended up vomiting everywhere and thinking I was going to die. There was no feelings of awesomeness. I decided then and there that this wasn't for me. As a kid, I took very well to sports. In high school, I studied a lot and was an above average student. As I was very disciplined with my sports as well, There was a large culture of partying, drinking, smoke and pot by all my friends and other kids at school, so I steered clear of all this. When I was 15, my father went overseas for three months. I went off the rails, drinking and smoking pot on the weekends, and I barely went to school. My schooling and training didn't just slow down, it actually stopped. My father returned from overseas, and I felt the disappointment of him. After this, I quit school to be a full-time road and velodrome cyclist. I put 110% into chasing my dream to eventually become a professional cyclist in Europe. I was extremely dedicated to this. I was the Australian champion by the time I was 18. I was winning nearly every major race I entered. Life was good and I felt somewhat famous. For some reason, I wasn't selected for the Australian team even though I won all the selection races. I was very disappointed in myself, but mostly hurt and rejected by the Australian cycling system and thought of quitting. Around this time, I rolled my car drunk and nearly killed me and my best mate. I slid into a deep depression, drinking more and more every day. This went on for about six months. 
This was to be the first time I'd identify myself as having a drinking problem. My chosen career was suffering heavily. I quit drinking and again decided this wasn't for me. I went completely obsessive with my training. I turned my back on the whole Australian system and moved to Holland. I was only 20 and I was, was, <laughs> was amazing. I was winning big races and riding for one of the biggest teams in the world. I was racing against teams like US Postal, which was Lance Armstrong's team. For a 20-year-old in Austra- an Australian in Europe, this was pretty much unheard of. After a while, I was approached by team management and the team doctors and told that I'd have to dope or my future with the team would be doomed. It was a cocktail of performance-enhancing drugs. It, it was the culture of the sport, widespread and openly spoken about, about amongst the athletes. EPO, a red blood cell booster, human growth hormone, testosterone and cortisone were to be injected. This made you strong, but also can have huge side effects. Riders from this era were not only getting sick and having heart attacks, strokes and other complications, they were dying. I quit the sport and returned to Australia with my tail between my legs. Once again, I was shattered by the cycling world. I was so disillusioned. I slipped into a deep depression. I was often spoken about in the cycling world as a waste of talent. I felt shame, regret and a severe sense of failure. I found pot and then I found ecstasy. It was awesome. I didn't have to train and win races to feel good anymore. Here I found my escape. I became heavily involved in the nightclub scene and started DJing in clubs around Sydney and Newcastle. I was also distributing drugs. I only cared about myself and my life was on repeat week after week. I had fast cars, nice clothes and in my head I thought I was famous. I was constantly looking over my shoulder, paranoid that the cops were everywhere. The weekends were all partying and DJing, and the weeks were like hell just getting through till the next weekend. After eight years, when I was around 30, enough was enough, and again I decided that wasn't for me. I quit the drug scene, started to train and win races again, and even started coaching and mentoring up-and-coming riders. I opened a bike shop, and I got engaged. At some point I started to drink more and more and I even started to take speed to get through each day. Of course this was tragic and myself and my fiancé eventually split up. I slipped into another deep depression and was blaming her and everyone else for my current state. I was looking anywhere and everywhere to escape, so I moved to Vietnam. I was in paradise. I lived either in Saigon, which is an amazing city full of life, Dalat up in the mountains where I'd attend the local Buddhist temples and cruise the little winding French-style streets and my home village of Munay, which was on the coast. Here I lived directly across the road from the beach in my own apartment. I had cheap beer, vodka and cocaine. I had seafood every night and nightclubs with beautiful women from all around the world. I found my escape from life in this and would pride myself on being free, partying and having absolutely no responsibilities. But the reality was that here I lived in an absolute mental prison. It was, <clears throat> if I was to think of hell, what it was like, this would be it. Every day was excruciating. There was the physical state of no strength and continual cramping, especially when starting into the withdrawal state. But in my head, there was this constant battlegrounds of regret, shame, guilt and self-hatred. I was so sick and drinking myself to death. I was physically, mentally and spiritually broken. I had no values or morals. 
I would be taken to hospital on at least eight occasions. Most of the time, I was lucky to come out alive. The state of deep withdrawal is like no other pain I've ever experienced. I don't know how many times I was clinging to life and saying, God, please take me now. I would say, God, if you are real, please finally end this hell I live in. Why did I deserve this life of disappointment and shattered dreams? Over and over for days at a time in overcrowded, filthy, cockroach-infested, understaffed, death-ridden hospitals, I would beg for it to end. Maybe God had other plans because after a year I somehow eventually made it back to Australia alive. I quit and said, this is not for me. By now you can see there's a pattern forming in my life. I started to train, got a good job in northern Queensland. I was earning a lot of money and I was fit. I was kite surfing and mountain biking with groups I would lead at the local trails. I was engaged and had what appeared to be a good life. Then I began to drink bit by bit till I was again hooked. My fiancé left. I lost my job and my licence and I went downhill. This time I actually died. I was found not breathing with no heartbeat on a motel floor. I was put into an induced coma and on life support for three days. The doctors don't know how I survived. I don't remember anything, but I didn't see the bright lights of heaven, nor did I see the flames of hell. But this wasn't rock bottom. I kept inventing a new rock bottom. I was extremely sick and suicidal and saw absolutely no way of ever being happy. So I took off to Vietnam again. This was to be a one-way trip. I didn't know how or when, but I was not coming home to Australia. (coughs) I would try to go out to eat and party, but most of the time I would be in my apartment in Saigon, Delat or in Monet, living in my mental prison. I was reduced to begging for it all to stop. I would plead with God if if there was one just to let me go, but somehow my pleas were not answered. After eight months, many suicide attempts and around at least five times in some of the most horrendous hospitals on earth, I again somehow made it home. I'd been friend requested on Facebook by an ex-girlfriend from ten years previous. We got talking and she sensed something was wrong. I was homeless and in hospital and she came to visit me. She told me she had sent the request two years earlier but I'd only received it in the weeks leading up to to coming home. She also worked for the Salvation Army in Newcastle Job Networking and she knew of Duralong, so she called Craig. I somehow got a bed there and this is where my life had totally changed. Duralong is amazing. There's a fair few of them here today actually, all my friends. At first I thought there was no way I needed to be in a place full of people like me. I mean, I was a professional cyclist, a business owner and a hotshot DJ. I travelled the world. (laughs) I willfully thought that there was no way being around alcoholics and addicts could benefit me. For three months I stuck to my Buddhist beliefs I'd picked up with my eight trips to Vietnam. I fell asleep in chapel. I wanted to tear my hair out in meetings and groups. I disagreed all the time with my caseworker and couldn't wait to get out and start working again. But then I read a piece from the Dalai Lama about he was grateful to have lived in exile from Tibet. If this hadn't happened, he would never have had the ability to experience other forms of spirituality. He would have only worshipped as a Tibetan monk. 
Bit by bit, I thought I would show respect and tolerance and participate in other people's beliefs, values and principles as they worshipped anything that is for the benefit of humanity, just as the Dalai Lama did. I used patience, willingness, openness and became present. Then one, day, one Wednesday night at chapel down at Duralong, I had prayer. I was nervous and a little bit scared, but I didn't know why. The next day, my lower back was wrecked. Another week later, I got prayer again. The next day after that, the middle of my back was wrecked again. This stuff wasn't working. Then it was suggested I come here to North Lakes Church. (laughs) Throughout the songs, I was getting goosebumps all in and around my hair, neck and arms. The community here was so warm and welcoming. There was a feeling that everything was going to be okay. Each day I was feeling calmer and calmer and my choices were leaning in a total different direction without my will and a new future was being created. I came across a statement which was to find value or meaning for our suffering and the words from the song Amazing Grace, you saved a wretch like me. Emotions were being stirred up in me with questions that had no written answers, just feelings that I can't explain which were prompting me in what to seem to be a righteous path. I kept doing all my normal things like gym, riding my mountain bike. I could see beautiful things again. My family were talking to me again. And me and my mum were getting along better than ever before and now, now we come here every Sunday together. I began to work on the stuff I'd never looked at or wanted to look at before. With Dana, she would identify things in my soul that I didn't want to look at. Forgiveness, resentment, patience for myself. They all seemed to go hand in hand without forgiveness for others and myself. There was a lot of resentment crippling my mind and appearing at any time it wanted. This would be like the devil trying and picking at anything to try and derail me or force me into working harder and longer to try and make more and more money and gather possessions in the hope to run from what, I was, what was eating me inside. Therefore, I had no patience for myself. I used to think when life was going good, it was just a series of luck and coincidence because I was doing the right things. But lately, and in hindsight, there are too many of these to be simply coincidence. I can now see that there's been a certain people placed in my life all along the way to bring me here today. I used to think, what's wrong with people that they're so weak that they need a crutch like God to support them in life? But a crutch helps you walk and stand upright. Now I see how weak and open to addiction I was by not being open to God. Most of my life, I was always looking for more. It didn't matter how much I achieved, how much money or possessions I had, what country I travelled to or how hot my girlfriends were. There always seemed to be a void in my life. Something was missing. These days I have no paranoia or fear and feel completely calm and content. I have forgiven myself and others and have absolutely no resentment in my heart or soul. I'm patient, even though I'm only at the start of a new journey and career. I'm living in the moment. But most of all, I finally have freedom. Thanks to my faith, that void, the something that was missing, has been filled. I'm now restored and have restoration within my relationships and with my girls, my mum, my sister, my two amazing nieces, Chloe and Lily Rose. You are my precious angels. 
And I've always loved you with all my heart, even when I didn't love myself. I stumbled upon a word recently. The word is entheos. It's the Greek word that means enthusiasm. The word entheos also means to be filled with God. I now live my life with enthusiasm. Amen. Thank you, Christian, for having the courage to stand up and share what God has done in your life because it gives, helps us all to continue to walk closely with him. It helps us all to see that this is the way, that uh, he has said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and that through him we come to God the Father. And that's how what, you know, you've shared this evening and that sometimes life is hard and we don't you know, we cannot understand it. But when we come to God, he puts everything together as he's done. He's, he's mended your broken heart and he's made you whole again. And he's given you, he's put your feet on a new path that's going to bring you, you know, life in all its fullness because that's what he has promised. And that's what God promises for all of us. He promises life in all its fullness. But the only way that we can have that is if we accept what he has done for us. I want to read just while we're standing from Ephesians. And it says this, that God loved us and chose us to be his own. God loved you, Christian. Even before you were born, he loved you and he chose you. And he was just waiting for that day when you would put your hand in his and everything would be made right again. And that's what he wants for all of us. And we see the testimony, the witness of what happens when someone does that. When we do that, that's what God does. He makes everything right again. And it goes on to say that God decided in advance. That means that you know, he, he knew that we would walk away from him. He knew that we wouldn't always do the things that he wanted us to do to have this great relationship with him. So he said in advance, he decided to adopt us into his own family. God is awesome. He loves you. And just like he made a way for Christian and he made a way for me, he makes a way for all of us. He wants us to be part of his family. He wants us to feel like we belong. That's why he made us. He wanted a relationship with us, a connection with him. He doesn't want us to be lonely. He doesn't want us to struggle with life. He just wants us to come to him and receive what he's done for us, which set us free sets us free from the bondage of sin and resentment and bitterness and all those things that absolutely shut us down and lock us out from what God has for us. He gave everything. He died on the cross. He paid the price so that we could go free, so that Christian, you could go free, so that I could go free. And he did it for every person here tonight. And so as we're standing If you've never accepted 
what Jesus did for you and you don't know this freedom. Maybe you've never had the courage to reach out and accept what Jesus is doing. I'm going to ask you tonight, Christian's standing here. He's had courage to stand here tonight and give testimony. I'm going to ask you to come and stand with him. If you want to, for the first time, to come and accept Christ, or maybe maybe it's that you've wandered a bit. You know, we do that. We're human and we make mistakes and God understands that. He loves us perfectly, unconditionally. Then I'm going to invite you to come and stand with Christian tonight and let's give your life back to God. Surrender yourself to him so that we can all walk out of this place tonight knowing the freedom that we have in Christ, walking on that path that we have. So I invite you to close your eyes and if you want to come, have courage. Come and stand here with us. We've made this decision You come and join us and we will stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who will receive the freedom that he offers and walk with Jesus every day, every day. That's what he wants. He wants life for you every day. In just a moment, we're going to sing. But before we do, I want to pray for all of you that are standing here. I just want to say to you that God loves you, that he has a plan for your life that is incredible. Don't underestimate what God has for you. Don't miss out on what he has for you. Take a hold of him with both hands. Walk with him every day, every day, because he will transform your life every day because he loves you and before you were even born, He wanted you to be part of his family. Before you were even born, he made the way for you so that you could be accepted by him and loved by him. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for the witness of Christian tonight and what you have done in his life, that he bears the name of Christ in him that changes everything. And we thank you, God, for bringing him freedom, for bringing him peace, for setting his feet on a new path that's going to take him to life in all its fullness. And I pray for every one of his brothers and sisters, his family who are standing with him tonight. God, and they are declaring that they want to be on that path too, that they accept what you have done for them that you love them above all and that every one of them tonight who are standing here, each of them individually, you are saying, I love you. I gave everything for you because I want you to be part of my family. And I thank you, God, that they are walking in that truth as they step out tonight, renewing or accepting you for the first time, willing to received what you have done so that they can go free. What amazing grace that saves us, that rescues us and puts our feet on a new path. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.